All right, y'all. So I love watching documentaries. I love learning about history and people's stories. And I recently came across something that blew my mind. So here it is. In 1793, France, in an effort to increase human productivity, wanted to break away from the church, so they de-Christianized the calendar by modifying the seven-day week to a 10-day week. So instead of the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that we all know, uh, it was now called first day, second day, third day, all the way on until 10th day. And the months became just three 10-day weeks. I am sure you can imagine how the experiment radically failed. A couple of things happened. Suicide rates skyrocketed, people burned out, and production actually decreased. And we think about why, it turns out, not to our surprise, <laughs> that we were not made to work nine days and then rest only one day a week. The seven-day rhythm that we all know is sacred, whether or not you call yourself a Christian. It's really hardwired into our being. It's how we were designed. And so the seven-day week is not the result of human ingenuity and design, but it's a reflection of God's brilliance. And what France discovered in that experiment is that we can deviate from the plan that God designed from us, but we do so at our own peril. So today we are wrapping up this series, uh, The Good Life. And throughout this series, we've been looking at the ways that God designed us to flourish and to thrive. So today, we're going to look at how God designed this thing called faith and how it depends on connection with God and with each other. So if you're here today and you're, or you're watching from home, you're here because faith probably means something to you. And you want to explore it or seek to deepen your faith journey, wherever you are. And the way that God set faith up, whether you believe in the Bible or not, is this. Our walk with God depends on other people. One way that we can think about it is this, that our walk with God is personal, but it is not individual. It's a community project that we are a part of. And if you try to deviate from that plan and from the design like, God, um, excuse me, like the French did, um, it won't work. So... Let's look at a scripture that shows us how God designed faith to depend on connection. And whether you're in your Bibles on your phone or your paper Bible, or you can look at the screens, we're in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 through 25. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, let's start with who this message is for. In the context of this scripture and when it was written, it was still a radical thought to be able to approach God directly. And so the author is speaking to a congregation of Jewish Christians who were in danger of drifting away from the faith because of persecution and really because they have probably a fear of letting go of the security of what they knew. All the rituals and the laws that they were used to doing over and over again, they were no longer necessary and they were insufficient anyway. And so what the author is reminding them and us of is that Jesus, the only way any of us could be redeemed, made the ultimate sacrifice. So they were good with God. They did not need to fear God's wrath. Jesus had made our peace with the Father. So I think we can understand their concern. Their question is, can I really trust this new way? So let's think about it for ourselves and perhaps what they were experiencing. I want us all to think of a relationship that you broke. Maybe you were dishonest. Maybe you said something hurtful. Perhaps you promised to be there for someone and you did not show up. Now, I want you to think about that moment and realize, or remember, you know, the relationship had been restored. Now, we know what happens, right? They say they forgive you, but based on how they treat you from that moment forward, do they really forgive you? Now, we know what that's like because we all love to say, well, I forgive, but I don't forget. And so what that means and what's happening when we say that is like, There is a pain that we felt, and we want to keep that in the back of our minds so that we can protect ourselves from getting hurt again or further. And so what happens is that they require us, or we require other people, to keep proving themselves, to prove that they've changed, or they just lower their expectations of us anyway. Perhaps you've experienced someone micromanaging your actions. Where are you? What are you doing? Check in with me. Or they just take everything that you say with a grain of salt. And in those moments, there's this limit to the depth of the relationship because there's always going to be some level of mistrust that puts a wall between us and them. And so, if that's how we experience our relationships with each other, That may be how many of us think God treats us as well. So I wonder for us who um, call ourselves followers of Jesus, 
Do we really trust that we're all good with God? Like, do you really believe that when he looks at you, he feels joy? Do you believe that when he considers you, he is pleased? And I want us to consider, though, how God actually handles our restored relationship with him. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 17, God literally says that through the sacrifice and the love of Jesus, I forgive and I forget. In the scripture, you see, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. God wants us, you and me, to have the unwavering faith to believe that he means what he says. God also knows us better than we know ourselves, right? God knows that we're prone to doubt. God knows that we mess up a lot and we lose our way. And so God just says, you need to stay close to me. He knows that he needs to remind us every single day of this new and living way that he has designed for us. And that was made possible by Christ's sacrifice. So what does that look like? What does it look like to stay connected as God has designed it? And the scripture that we are looking at today lays out three instructions for us. And before we get into them, I want to point something out that we see in this scripture that I want you all to take in with you or take with you as you do your own Bible reading, and that is repetition. So not surprisingly, when we see the same word or the same idea over and over again, we should recognize that it's trying to communicate or emphasize the importance of that word or that idea. And in these scriptures, the author begins each instruction with, let us. It's easy to miss because there's so many big ideas in these verses. But these two little words are actually central to the idea and the point that the author is making for us. And that point is, We need daily connection with God and each other to experience unwavering faith as God intended. Now I want us to think about though, why is that so hard? Why is it so hard to experience faith like that? And if we think about it, if faith depends on someone else to do what I cannot then I'm going to need to admit that I am not self-sufficient. And I don't know about you, but if there's anything that we dislike more, it's to be able to say or to have to say that we don't have as much control over our lives as we like to think we do. And so for me, one of the reasons why I struggle with this is because of pride. I really do not like asking for help I do not like admitting my weaknesses. I want to figure it out all on my own and get all the praise. My other challenge 
is that to be quite frank, I just like to be in my feelings sometimes. You know, when things are not working out the way that I want them to, I don't want encouragement. I really just want to feel sorry for myself and just sit there and bask in my pain. Do you ever feel that way? So why do we have this tendency to disconnect from God and each other? Perhaps the idea that a fear of rejection is what's up for you, that resonates. Right? So sometimes we feel like if we open ourselves up to real connection, then that also means that we're exposing ourselves to the risk of disappointment, being let down, and getting hurt. And so if we don't get too close, then we don't have to worry about any of those negative feelings. There's something else going on, though, too, and it's spiritual. God's design from the beginning for us was to stay connected to him and to each other. And if we think back to Genesis 2, when God created man and woman, they were supposed to talk and walk and be in the garden every single day, enjoying each other's company. But what happened? Satan came along and distorted God's design. Satan's goal all along was to keep us separated from God and each other. And he constantly wanted to introduce lies and doubt about how we are supposed to do this life thing on our own. We can take a look at any of these lies that we have heard from Satan that he tries to introduce to us, right? I'm not worthy of closeness. No one is trustworthy. I don't need anyone. I can do this on my own. I'm too busy. My business is mine and their business is theirs. Some of y'all say, I'm like people. And for some of us, we feel like we're a hot mess. And the best thing anyone can do is to stay away from us. Church, Satan is still busy. And in this life, we who believe in Jesus continue to struggle with sin and doubt every day. Our hearts are still vulnerable to the lies that he tells us, the one that says we only need ourselves to live a good life. And he's constantly sending us these messages that seek to put distance between us and God and each other. And so the point that we get to explore and take into our hearts today is that the good life experiences abundant connection with God and each other. This is not intellectual agreement that Jesus is our savior, that we recommit to every Sunday. And so my hope is that together in our time, we get to look at how God designed faith And we can see that real connection with him and each other and why all of that connection matters. One more thing I want to point out is that I know for some of us, when we hear the word connection, we think of one or two things. We think, oh, goodness, we're going to start talking about all these long, deep conversations, looking at each other and looking into each other's eyes. 
One other thought we might have is that connection is really all about meeting somebody and having this aha moment. Oh my goodness, I feel like I've known you all my life. Now, it is true that vulnerability and even having that instant, immediate friendship can be a part of it, but connection really is about having a number of tangible, concrete experiences over time that they're not always deep and they're not always powerful. Each time you help someone, each time we share, each time we listen, when you let down your guard or tell the truth and trust, connection exists when we demonstrate or experience empathy and compassion. Now, I get it. So many of us, and I'm included, cringe at the thought of feeling exposed, and so we shy away from other people. But what happens when we do that is that we miss out on the concreteness of God's love. He designed us to be a part of each other's spiritual journeys. It is through that connection with each other that God enables us to maintain this unwavering faith and to experience the fullness of his love. So what I want us to get today is this. Our walk with God is personal, but it is not individual. We are in community to fully experience his design for us. So let's take a look back at our scripture. There's three points that we're going to dig into today um, that help us understand abundant connection. And the first point we're going to see is in Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. God wants us to approach him authentically with confidence. He's saying, keep it real. He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want performance. And this is underlined in Isaiah 29, verse 13, where it says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. But the kind of connection that God wants with us is the kind of relationship where we give him our bruised and broken hearts because we have confidence in him to change our hearts as the only one who can. But y'all, we also need each other to be able to do that. Now first, we need people to show us who we are to ourselves. For me, right, I think about who lets me feel my feels, but also shows me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because we all have blind spots to ourselves, and it's the people who are around us who see us from the outside to be able to show us how we can fully give it all to God. 
It's the people around us who tell us, you don't have it all together and you need God. Now, second, and I want us to all think about this point. Think about any experience you've had where you've been around a group of people and they have impacted you or influenced you positively or negatively. I'll give you an example. If you ask me after service, who is going to the Super Bowl next Sunday? I will tell you I have no idea. Not a clue. But if you come in my house next Sunday... And we, and you see me around my family who are big sports fans, you will watch me behaving like I have watched every single football game <laughs> this entire season. Being around others impacts how we understand and approach God. If you enjoy or participate in Bible study and community Bible reading, then you know that moment. You've experienced a moment where you've read the same word as somebody else, but they say something you never saw or you've never even thought of in a particular way. I also like to think of a friend of mine who prays like she is talking to her best friend. And I love when we pray together because it really takes me out of my tendency to use a really formal tone with God. I'm like, yes, your honor. Like, we're in church, or excuse me, like we're in court. So seeing other people on fire for God, doesn't that make us on fire for God too? And there's research about this. So there is a neuroscientist and a professor, his name is Moran Cerf, and he's at Columbia Business School, and his research showed that when two people are in each other's company, their brain waves begin looking identical. Now, just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with theirs. There's something that happens to our brains when we're around other people. We become like the people that we associate with. So, if you want to maximize those feelings of happiness, if you want to minimize stress, if you want to experience unwavering faith, then you should build your life by surrounding yourself with other people who embody the traits that you need. Now, our point here is that we've been designed for our faith to depend on connection with other people in order to connect with God. Our walk is personal, not individual. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us draw near. Let's look at the second point from Hebrews 10.23. This is where the author says, let us hold unswervingly onto the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So the writer here says to hold unswervingly. Now, when we think about why that is, we can imagine it's because life is full of twists and turns, like a roller coaster. And those twists and turns sometimes shake us to our core and try to detach us from our faith. And so we need other people in proximity to us to stay grounded and connected and hopeful. 
You know, there's a reason why we've heard our community members, our church members say that sometimes they just come to church to sit and cry in the dark. Now, you think about it. You can sit and cry in the dark at home. God is there, right? But why here? Why church? Because of you, the people. Church is the people. And during our most difficult and darkest moments, we look downward. We can only see ourselves. We can only see our situation. But we have to come up. We have to look up. We need to look around us to ground us. And this is an example of what we see when, you know, when you're sharing what's going on, when you're in the middle of waiting, when you're in the middle of suffering, that is the time to share. Because we need to listen to other people who are around us because they get to testify to God's faithfulness in their lives when we lose sight of what he's doing in our own lives. Hearing the story of somebody who has walked through the fire and come out on the other side of that faithfulness, if they can make it and I can see them, then maybe I can make it too. And God knows we are so quick to forget all of this and his faithfulness. And so we just, we just need each other. We need to remind each other through the stories we share of who God is, what God has done in each of our lives, and the fact that he is still working. Ultimately, and God knows this, unwavering faith is so hard to maintain. Because we know we can't change the world. You know you can't change the person next to you. We cannot even change our own hearts. And so we get discouraged and we retreat away from the world when we feel those ways. We retreat from God. We retreat from the people around us. But God designed us to be in each other's lives so that he can help us maintain our hope and faith so that he can constantly remind us that he is faithful. Lastly, Hebrews 10.24 says, let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I want us to take another look at a word in this verse, which is spur. In the Greek, spur actually means to provoke or to stir up. So this is not just a gentle nudge or, uh, hey, why don't you come along with me? It, and this makes sense. We think about the good life. It is modeled after Jesus' life. And we all know that Jesus did not make subtle suggestions about what he wanted you to do. And we need to be like Jesus for each other. We need to provoke each other on toward love. We need to stir each other up to do good. And that requires proximity and intentionality. I want us to just take a look 
at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And in that scripture, we see that in the early days, the church was a group of people. It was the apostles. It was this daily influx of new believers in Christ. And in all of those moments, the apostles, they shared Jesus' teachings. They gathered together. They sold their possessions. They shared everything they had. They ate together. They had so much in common. They praised God together and had favor. And we think about what our experience is like today. We can recognize how individualistic it is, how disconnected and distant we are from each other. And even though we have all these ways to see each other and to communicate, we're more isolated than we've ever been. And y'all, I am an 80s baby. So back in the day, no one could talk on the phone more than me. You can ask my mom, she's in the audience, she can confirm that for you, that I knew a marathon phone conversation, hours on the phone. And these days, I can barely text a full sentence. (laughs) Y'all know you all talk in gifts and emojis just like I do, right? And how about that heart that we respond to text messages with? That's not spurring anything on. So, when we rely on ourselves, we're just not taking advantage of all the resources that God has designed us with. Doing life on our own, that's not his design. And if we even look at God, he's a community in himself. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they enjoy love and fellowship their perfect community, and that is the perfect and joyous love that God has designed for us. God wants us to understand that a vital part of our faith is urging each other on, spurring each other on toward love and good deeds. So as we close, here's how I pray that we apply this. Let's take a look at uh, the last scripture that we're looking at today in verse 25. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our point is to stay connected, to spend time together, encourage each other. Two things I spur us on to do. One, come in person. Now, we appreciate having service online. It means we get to experience and dig into God's word no matter where we are at any time. But always experiencing this word online means we don't get the church. And the church is the people. And it's where we find strength, where we find comfort, nourishment, and joy in this collective space of service and worship. And second, commit to and show up for DNA groups. 
in that communal time is where we get to understand God's word together, see things that maybe we wouldn't have seen on our own, and we get to listen to each other and ultimately influence each other's unwavering faith. And this week, you're going to get an email about all the ways for you to be intentional about engaging with the community at Renaissance as Jordan described. And I want us all to prayerfully consider how the Lord might be inviting you to grow this season. We're gonna end on a quote from the theologian Jackie Hill Perry, who once said, we need people in our life that make one, sin look bad, that make Two, God look big, that make grace look tangible, and the gospel look true. It is our good friends, it is our good community, it is our good church of people who help us grow. Let us be those people for each other, and let us pray. Lord, help us experience faith the way that you designed it. Help us to approach you with confidence and strength. Lord, would you help us to reach out and connect with each other in compassion and empathy so we can experience the fullness of your love through abundant connection. Amen.